This episode is sponsored by Kendo UI. Kendo UI allows you to build better apps faster. They have a comprehensive library ranging from data grids and charts to buttons and sliders. Plus, you can use their components as plain JavaScript as well as in Angular, React, and Vue. They have a large collection of customizable popular themes like Bootstrap and Material. Go check them out at reactroundup.com slash kendoui. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another React Roundup. This week, we have on our panel Tara Minixic. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Kent C. Dodds. Hey, it's Kent. Hi. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Quick shout out about React Dev Summit. Uh, probably the week after this comes out, so go get your tickets. Uh, we also have a special guest this week, and that's uh, Henrik Juritag. How's it going? Thanks for having me. You want to quickly introduce yourself, uh, let people know who you are? Sure. Yeah. I've been doing this whole JavaScript for a thing for a while now. I uh, think I spoke at the very first NodeConf. I've uh, been doing this whole uh, really into progressive web apps and single page apps. And um, recently, uh, I used to be at And Yet. I'm now uh, doing independent consulting. Recently spent 18 months working with Starbucks, helping them ship their new PWA. Um, Written a book called Human JavaScript that some of you may have read, blogging, Twitter, whatever. Um, working on a second book right now. So just uh, hanging out. That awesome. book got me through a lot of JavaScript modes. I very much appreciate it. Well, awesome. <laughs> I'm so glad you read it. It was useful. There you go. You're Terra famous. And there you go. That, that's all I need. I'm done. See you later. <laughs> awesome. That and Ampersand JS. I also use oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Talk about like wrong timing though. It was like right as React was taking off. Totally. I'm like, hey, I fixed everything with Backbone. <laughs> exactly. Oh, never mind. No one cares about Backbone anymore. All right. <laughs> yeah. It was appreciated for a while though. We <laughs> Good. Just so you know. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you. <laughs> it's funny you bring that up. That's actually how uh, I met Henrik was we had him on JavaScript Jabber to talk about and yet and Ampersand JS. So. Yeah, yeah. Good times. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, yeah, so we brought you on to talk about the Redux Bundler. Um, uh -huh. I, I don't know. It has 389 stars on GitHub, so we know people are using it. Do you want to kind of give us the, the five-minute or five-second uh, elevator pitch for the people who aren't familiar with it? Sure. Yeah, first of all, I'm not really trying to get anyone to use it. This is me sharing how I build apps. Um, in fact, the, the less people use it and file bugs on it, I'm perfectly content with that. This is not me trying to like <laughs> become open source famous and convince you to use my tools. Um, basically, I'm, I'm trying to... Basically, just showing how I do things. It essentially lets you... It tackles a lot of the problems that people seem to complain about with Redux, with boilerplate and... Um, trying to figure out how to kind of actually structure applications in a way that that scales well. Um, if you're familiar with the the Redux ducks pattern of kind of lumping things by functionality, you can think of it a bit like a formalized approach to that. So once you've kind of structured everything into these what I call bundles, uh, then it includes a a function that basically composes all those bundles together to build an app for you. Um, so it lets you kind of uh, create these discrete chunks of in reusable functionality, which is another one that's kind of a, a headache for a lot of Redux type stuff, is that you've got code sprinkled through all these different files broken up by action creators and selectors and whatever. It's hard to kind of take that chunk of functionality and be like, okay, I'm going to use this in this other app. So uh, by kind of structuring everything into these, these bundles, then you can kind of compose it all into an app. And... Uh, um, 
all of this happens outside of um, components. So instead of thinking as of, of the, the kind of soup du jour these days seems to be uh, do everything as a component. And I personally, I despise the, the idea of using behavioral components. I, I don't enjoy that at all. It, it feels really strange to me. And um, especially coming from a perspective of trying to build these network independent apps that can operate, um, you know, like a progressive web app uh, that essentially has a life cycle of its own. I don't want to um, tie things like data fetching to whether or not a certain component is visible at the time. I, I don't really care. I, I, I want to fetch the data I know I'm going to need and cache it for offline use. So um, it's really that philosophy of, you know, kind of containing all your application logic into the separate uh, state container, let Redux do its thing, um, and then just let all your view components, all your UI be really, really, really dumb. Uh, so just render stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I got a, uh, actually a question on that. Um, so how one, one mistake that I see often with uh, people using Redux is they put all of their application, like all their state in Redux. Like, yeah the error state of their form elements and like uh, everything inside of there where um, lots of it could actually be component state. So oh, totally. Yeah. Can you address that a little bit? Yes. How so I think, I think it might, well, I guess my rule for that is, yeah, if it can be local, leave it local. I mean, there's no reason to inform the entire rest of your app. If, if you have a partially filled form field, I mean, it, there's nothing useful you can gain from that uh, in another part of your application. So don't extract it out. Just use component state and be happy. But, uh, you know, I think a lot of times when you're building an application, um, there are things you know the user is going to need, whether or not they're looking at that particular page at that time. And in the normal kind of uh, component tree driven model, there isn't a great place to do that and to like keep that up to date make sure it doesn't get stale you know and to cache it behind the scenes and reinflate it from cache and then you know check to see how old it is and whether i should try to fetch it again and perhaps even the, the fail of i mean if you expect things to fail which is not the norm on the web but if we expect you know network requests to fail we start to act a little differently like well you know, if we already have some stale data, well, certainly let's not throw that away when we're fetching something else. Like, let's try to fetch and see what happens. And if we get it back, and, like, let's keep showing what we have. In fact, we don't even have to bother the user with that information. They don't need to know that it's being updated. Um, and if nothing's changed, why tell them, you know? Um, so unless your data is so stale and you can't get new data, then sure, bother the user. Tell them, hey, something's up. I can't show you what you're trying to look at. But there's so much that we can do in this kind of application lifecycle that doesn't involve what's currently on the screen. So I think it doesn't leave a whole lot of room for that type of application development. So that's why I like having this whole separate state tree with, you know, that, that can essentially run the app in headless mode. <laughs> I mean, you can almost think of it like a headless browser. You can have it dispatch all kinds of events and do all kinds of stuff uh, to keep itself up to date and before you even write the UI for the thing. So um, I really like that model and it, it seems to scale well in terms of complexity and um, you can do it with tiny amounts of code. I mean, in terms of the actual bundle sizes to do a lot of that type of behavior, uh, you know, if we kind of optimize for building that sort of thing, that portion of your bundle is tiny. So. Anyway, I, I, I love it. I, I think 
you know, there's challenges involved with doing it well. And my sharing of Redux Bundler is my saying, hey, here's how I handle all these issues that people complain about with Redux, basically. <laughs> Some of the things that you're talking about, um, especially with kind of doing things behind the scenes to help users not have to be bothered with what's happening, reminds me of some of the stuff that's going to be that is happening and going to be happening with service workers where they are like hoping to go along with the trend of like not giving you like a silent push notification, you know, or like it would be a push, no notification. Right. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Being able to make changes behind the scenes without bothering the user. Mm -hmm. How do you see these two things, um, these kind of uh, relationships working with, or like that kind of relationship? Yeah, sure. Um, I love service workers. I'm, I'm, I've been a fan since the beginning and have been hacking with them for, for some time now, but I, I don't use them for uh, API data, typically. And um, I will use them to cache assets, uh, cache um, you know, the, the actual shell that you need to run the application. Um, but I personally tend to shy away from putting uh, user data specifically in there. Um, so many times the applications we're building these days are actually you know, user specific, you know, we have kind of this app shell, but then we're fetching all this data, the specific to the user. And I I just don't like the, for one, I don't like having to have a service worker to be able to provide that type of functionality. Um, You know, we have index DB that's pretty well supported now. um, And it's, it's no longer terrible in iOS. And so it's completely usable there to do, you know, provide the same kind of caching functionality there. And, And even when they add service worker, I like the idea of having this distinction between, you know, user data that is fetched and managed kind of in the app and then service worker that handles kind of the shell. <laughs> you know, there's, there's enough complexity in the service worker in terms of handling updates properly and, um, you know, what happens when a new one's available. There's an awful lot you can do there to make a mess anyway. And so I like having, you know, any clean lines of distinction that you can draw. And so for me, I draw the line there. I actually got one of my talk ideas based on one of your tweets because... Oh, really? I think you were telling somebody that their blog did not need to be a PWA. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I have a talk now that is, does it need to be a PWA? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, well, for that. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Uh, I, uh, oh, man, I'm like, I feel like I'm getting put on the spot more than I expected to here. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I, you know, I think let a web page be a web page. I mean, sure, you can go yeah. write something that will go prefetch all your blog posts and make your blog work offline. But, like, Realistically, yeah, sure, that makes the makes it more reliable. But in my opinion, there's not a whole lot that you're gaining there. I guess you know okay. you can you can have a few prefetch you know tags to, if you really want to prefetch your HTML and using HTTP cache headers, and you've essentially got something pretty similar, right? Um, so I, I don't know. I think I I, I like to build apps. Like, and I have no qualms about saying that there are sites and apps. Mm-hmm. I'm very much building apps because these things, I expect them to work offline. I expect them to cache users' data to show them what they last fetched. Like, I, that's what I'm doing. So, <laughs> <laughs> whatever that's worth. <laughs> so, um, Tara, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but one, one thing that I got out of, out of your question earlier uh, that I was hoping, maybe I misunderstood your question, but... So I'll just ask it. Um, but um, so Henrik, I, I agree with you that it's it's kind of nice to have the service worker be for the app shell and then the 
IndexedDB or something to be for where you store offline user data. Mm-hmm. Um, but the nice thing about Service Worker is that it can run in the background. Um, and so can you see any use case where it'd be useful to have a, a Service Worker run in the background to keep the user information up to date so that the next time I pull open this app, it, all of the information is up to date without having to... Uh, to wait for that data to load. Like maybe I only pull up this app when I'm on the train in a tunnel or something. Sure. I mean, you certainly could do that. Um, it's, you know, again, by structuring your application where the, all this data fetching happens in this kind of separate entity, you have that option. I have a, a demo where the entire application in terms of Redux, these bundles, everything runs in a worker, not a service worker, a regular worker. And um, to do that, because of the way the code is structured, I have two example apps out there. One of them is the Redux Bundler example, and the other one is Redux Bundler Worker example. And um, the only difference between the two is an adapter that you slip in there to basically do the communication between the worker and your main thread. I mean, literally, that's the only difference. Like, you, I, you didn't have to change any other code to make that work. And so uh, you can do the same thing. You can throw in a service worker. Sure, why not? Like, fine. But... I think, you know, most of the time, you're probably okay, you know, checking the, checking the network a bit when you, when you open the app, as long as you start with what they had last, you know. I think you, you got to be respectful of users' battery life and, you know, there's limits to how much you can do behind the scenes anyway. But I think, um, I mean, the point is by, by structuring things this way, you have the option. So. Cool. Yeah, that, I, I like that a lot. Um, yeah, so I want to know a little bit more about Redux Bundler and its use cases. Um, so, like, it, it sounds like it's really good for uh, being able to have uh, a clean separation between application state and the UI. Um, but you don't like, like you said, you don't shove all of the state in um, in this thing. It's just application state, not right. state, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, what? Uh, when, when we're talking about using any abstraction, we're talking about um, uh, solving a problem um, and incurring a cost to solve that problem. And hopefully the benefit for solving that problem is, is worth more than the cost. Right. So I'd like to hear a little bit more, more about Redux Bundler and, and what the associated costs and benefits are to using it. Hmm. Uh, it's probably hard for me to pick it apart too much, given the fact that it's how I like to build things. Um, so it's hard to be really fully objective about that. But I think, um, you know, the, the for me, at the point where you need Redux, you're introducing a lot of things to your app. And uh, to me, this just makes that less painful. Can, uh, can you talk about really? Sorry to interrupt. Could you? No, please. Like, at what point do you do you need Redux? Like, what makes it so you need Redux? Personally, I I use Redux for things that most people probably would not. I don't use React Router. I put URL state into Redux. I don't. Um, you know, so I, so all of my apps at least do that in in uh, Redux. Um, and then you know, so you. <laughs> I, I like anything that again, anything that's that that expands that that spans more than one component. I think you know at the at that point where you need something that's external to just this little thing in this one piece, then I think it makes sense to introduce something like this. And especially if the cost is low enough in terms of file size, bundle size, complexity, um, you know, I think it's I think it's helpful. Um, 
especially at the point now now, I mean, I've kind of got this toolkit now, these little bundles that I can just throw in there and voila, here's an app, you know? And I think that's, that's makes me more productive and without adding a huge, you know, cost to my bundle size, et cetera. So I think, um, yeah, I'm rambling at this point, but uh, that's okay. There, there's a lot to be said for what, what you're familiar with, like what, what's the team used to using um, totally. like the, the more that you're familiar with it, the less of a cost and abstraction is. Um, and so that, um, but, uh, oh shoot. I, I had like an insight and now it's like floating away. So oh, no, Chuck, I need you to save me, Tara, somebody <laughs> well, I was talking. <laughs> well, one thing that kind of made me think, um, when you're saying that you have this distinguishable point where you say, I, I don't want this to be, uh, a part of how I'm building it. Is there a way that you got to understanding React uh, and what you use in React to know how you wanted to split it and how you preferred to split it? Hmm. Okay. Let me try. Let me try to answer that. I, I think. Uh, can you can you rephrase that just a little bit? I, I don't know if I quite follow what you're getting at. I guess so. Like it took me a long, it took me quite a while to get to a point in React where I would even needed Redux mm-hmm. uh, because what I was building and how I was building things out with state. Um, and so I think it helps to understand uh, like how you split things up with Redux, the the way that you got there to um, say to yourself like I don't want to use the React router like mm-hmm. and and split things off and and make it so um modularized like was it was it just as you were learning you you were, you were going through and you were learning or were there certain things that tipped you off to how the performance was or how things worked together that made you make those decisions i think over the years there's just pa- yeah i think there's just patterns that that i've i've grown to to enjoy and appreciate at scale you know, having built really large complex backbone applications, um, you know, this idea of separating out uh, and even going back to like mustache JS and this whole concept of like logic less templates, right? Where like you have, you have these clear lines in your application and, and React to me is just another UI layer. Like I don't want that to be my entire application. I mean, sure, you can say that it's a React app, but like I think when I say that, that means something different than when somebody else says that because... I, you know, I use it largely as a glorified templating language um, that lets me very easily nest components. Um, and again, I, I tend to lean toward Preact because I, I don't, you know, it's just, it's three kilobytes. Like, why wouldn't I do that? <laughs> so I, I'm not like your average React fanboy. Um, I, <laughs> so, and I don't, and I think, I think a lot of that just comes from my past, I guess. But I think, you know, I get a little, I get a little twitchy when when I see people start to write write a lot of application code. What I view as something that's very kind of broad as part of a, just a component that's just responsible for rendering that rendering that one thing. As an example, um, so I have this little online donation platform that I built called Speedy Speedy Gift, and essentially. Um, you know, I, I had kind of thrown together this this proof of concept app and I had a few users using it. And the UI was just, it had this nice little like design by a developer sort of feel to it. Um, and because I didn't, I didn't want to bother, you know, spending money on a, on a designer until I could kind of prove that this thing was worthwhile. Um, 
But basically, I could then take this application and completely throw out the UI and start from scratch. Within, and in like, like a matter of a week or two, like a week and a half, I think it took me to completely replace the, the front end of this application because it's just a bunch of templates, you know, and it's just a matter of like hooking up to the right pieces. Like you, most people can't, you can't do that unless you've architected your app a certain way. And, you know, you can't, it's just not an option. Like you, you there's just, it's so much intertwining of, of application logic and, and display logic. And, you know, I just, I like having those lines of separation because I know what it buys me. So no, I appreciate that a lot. And I think like, um, I really admire the way that you code and I really like, oh, I like that a you. lot. And I, I try to code that way. And that's why human JavaScript was kind of an insight into that. Oh, so it's thanks. Really see how you, you react kind of in that way as well. All right. Well, thank you. I, I think where I'm still struggling a little bit is just, uh, I'm trying to envision if I have this problem, Redux Bundler is going to solve this for me. Like if I'm, if I've written code in a particular way, um, the organization that Redux Bundler is going to clarify or make, uh, make easier, uh, my code. Um, or is this something that is kind of painful to bring into a larger Redux app and you're better off just starting from scratch with it? Yeah, I think it would be a little bit hard to kind of inject it after the fact. Um, I mean, you, you could certainly start to do that. Um, but I think it, it kind of wants to own again. And this was not me writing some open source tool that I'm hoping everybody will just like switch to and adopt. Like it, it's, it's mainly showing patterns and things that I think make a lot of sense. Mm. And these are things that we've used, you know, like the, the, the basic several of the ideas in Redux Bundler, although Redux Bundler itself was not used at Starbucks, like some of these ideas came from the work we did at Starbucks in a large app that was already written. And and so kind of taking this process of, of extracting application logic that was really causing a lot of issues and refactoring it out into this kind of separate thing that managed this stuff. So um, I, 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 would, I do think it would be a little bit tricky to kind of inject, inject it into a, an existing Redux app, especially since a lot of people are using a mixture of kind of these add-on tools already, everything from, you know, Redux Loop to, um, you know, Redux Saga or what have you for async stuff, um, along with React Router, which kind of wants to own URL state already. And so there's kind of, you know, it's, it's really more like a, a presentation of a bunch of ideas of, and it is in fact how I build apps. So it's usable certainly, but, um, yeah, I, I, for me, the thing that it solves is uh, quite a few things, but the, one of the big things is this whole idea of maybe a concrete example would be more useful. So say you have um, an authentication system for an app, for, for a certain API. Like there, there's a certain way that you have to authenticate in order to get this API to work. And you're using just plain Redux for this. And so you, there's a bunch of logic that you need to write, essentially a way to trigger authentication to, you know, whether that be fetch a token or what have you, whatever needs to happen there, um, you might get redirected back to the app and then you need to read something from the, the URL that got returned by the server. And then, so there, there's all this kind of logic around how this application authenticates with OAuth or whatever it happens to be, right? How can you take that chunk of logic and just drop that into another app? Like most, most the way most things are written, you can't do that. Because it's also intertwined, like in in like you have this kind of, but like now I've written this auth bundle for my speedy platform that I use for three or four different apps, 
And they, they, they literally take that code and put it into like a shared pattern library thing and then just use that bundle and I'm good. Like, because it knows how to read its URL. It knows how to do all this stuff. And it just, I end up with selectors in there that I can use that say is logged in. That's all I really need to know. Like my app needs to know, do I have a user or not that I can show their name in the thing or do I need to kick them out? Or do I need to, because their session expired, do I need to wipe the caches and redirect them out to sign in again? Like, I don't know. It's just, it's just hard to encapsulate non-UI logic. Like the, the problem of, of like a date picker is solved. Like if I, if I want to drop in some date picker, like there's a million component architectures that allow that, but reusing these larger kind of structural logical pieces of application code is really difficult uh, the way we build most things. That makes sense. The the reason that I see for that is mostly that, yeah, we, we build in the coupling, but since the, the coupling isn't painful, it's not making it hard to change the code. A lot of people won't notice it. But yeah, if you want to move it somewhere completely different where it doesn't have uh, this reliance on code that you've written, right? Because if it relies on another library, you just pull that library in. But if it relies sure. on another part of the app, then it's a problem. Um, mm -hmm. This does remind me, though, of an app that I built uh, earlier in my career where um, we kind of wrote this big monolithic application and realized that everything was way too tightly coupled. Everything mm -hmm. depended on everything else. And so, yep. you know, we, we were smart. We, we decided to rewrite it in, uh, this was backend code, so we decided to write it in microservices. Well, what we wound up with was a whole bunch of uh, loosely coupled messes that talked to each other instead of one giant mess that was one right. big ball of yarn. So yep. how, how, do you, how do you approach that so your bundles don't just turn into little uh, kingdoms that are also a mess? I mean, I, there, there's no tool, library, or system out there that will that will save you from making a disaster of your code base. I mean, it just doesn't exist. Like, you know, you have there. There's certain like hygiene that you just basically have to develop over over time, where you get a sense of, hey, maybe we shouldn't be doing this this way. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and and that's I think that's one of those things that just takes takes some experience uh, after you. I've done an awful lot of refactoring in my life. And so I tend to optimize for things that are easy to change after the fact. Um, kind of been brought in as a fixer on, on applications at various points in my life. And uh, you know, one example, there was somebody had written a, a jQuery soup app of literally, I think he had 4,000 lines of uh, jQuery code in a single file um, using the... Um, you know, the, like the 10,000 foot view that you get in VS Code or Sublime Text where you can kind of see the whole thing. Mm -hmm. uh, he used really large ASCII art in comments to be able to identify sections of that giant file from that 10,000 foot view. Oh, that's that such a wow. Which is phenomenally brilliant as a way of like handling this. But at the same time, you, you can imagine that it, it was not the easiest thing to, to debug and make sense of, right? So I think... Um, I'm still impressed. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's it's really clever. I mean, this guy was no fool. Don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not trying to make fun of him. I've done the same type of thing with less brilliance in terms of solving that part of the problem. Like ingenuity out of chaos. <laughs> totally. And, 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 you know, the thing is that it works. Like you can do that. There's, you know, but I think uh, over time you, you learn that that kind of thing maybe isn't going to buy the flexibility that you need down the road. Uh, when there's a bug or when somebody needs a new feature and you're like, I have no idea where to even put that thing because I, I, this thing is already a leaning tower, right? Um, 
So I don't know. I think that, I think a lot of that comes out of not, um, uh, I know a lot of teams and I may have been on a few where you have to build a project and there's so much out there. There's all of these choices that you can make to make things happen. And you tend to throw things together, not even realizing how things may overlap. And so, um, does this does this feel like a tool? Does the Redux Bundler help uh, kind of people get to a point of just like here's one thing that we can use to kind of get rid of a lot of the clutter? I think it's a good solution for re- eliminating a lot of boilerplate and Redux, uh, especially if you have the option of starting from scratch, because um, it gives you these kind of little building blocks. I think the ideal state uh, of development is Legos. Um, I think, you know, everybody can appreciate the joy of just like having these little bricks that have certain functions and just building something beautiful out of them. But the question is, what are those bricks? And, you know, all these different frameworks provide different mechanisms for kind of, they provide a few bricks of their own and then you build some of yourself, you bring some yourself maybe, but they, you know, like how do we get to that state of, of with not just UI code, but with logic and, you know, the, the common answer is we'll just write a generic JavaScript library that does that one thing. And that's fine, but that also means you have to glue that into your application somehow. And so you may be kind of gluing in all these various different libraries and it's fine to do that. It totally works. But with the thing I typically want, once I kind of go, okay, I'm building this app with Redux, then I want to be able to select things out of that state uh, from Redux. I don't want to have to grab some piece of state from the URL and then something else from a library and then something else from Redux to show to figure out what to show you. Like it's nice to be able to kind of mirror the state that you care about into Redux and then be able to just select the one thing that you need out of there. So for you, the listeners of Ruby Rogues, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at lootcrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, uh, cool t-shirts comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. So so you talked about the bricks and the, the ways that you organize this and um, you know making it talk nicely with Redux. What, what do your bundles actually look like then? Are they just a collection okay, so of imagine, imagine or what what's that so the last part i was i was just saying are they just a collection of functions or reducers then or is there more to it than yeah that? totally so it, it it's it you export an object i should have said this up front sheesh um see i'm not it's, it's not all trying good. to market you here <laughs> um so you, you export an object and an object uh, they at least have to have a name but they can have uh, a reducer and then anything that any key that starts with the word select is assumed to be a selector any key that in that object that starts with do is assumed to be an action creator. 
Um, uh, you can also add an init function if you need to kind of instantiate something when it, when it first boots up. And that init function will be handed the entire store once it's been created. Um, so if you need to do things like uh, you want to set up a, a window resize uh, event listener that then mirrors that state into Redux, you have a way to do that and still write it in the bundle. Like it can just be, or if you want to set up a service worker, you want to register a service worker and have the service worker be able to dispatch action saying, hey, we have a new service worker available. Um, you know, it gives you a way to encapsulate that type of logic as well. Um, but then what you end up, what, what Redux Bundler actually does is it takes all these bundles and then it, instead of having you have to import selectors wherever you want to use them, it it's because it already knows that at the time that it essentially composes all these, it will compose them, bind them, and attach them to the store itself. So what you end up with is a store that has a ton of select functions on it that are just attached to it. You have, and it has a bunch of do functions on it that will trigger, that are pre-bound action creators that will trigger all your actions. Mm. Um, so as a result, you end up with this really more complete store. Um, if you think about it, that's basically what Redux does with reducers anyway, right? Like we write functions, and it kind of folds that into what becomes the Redux store. This is just taking the same approach to action creators, selectors, and kind of formalizing that as well. Um, but what you end up with then is this really metadata-rich store that knows about all its action creators and knows about all its selectors. You can write really interesting debugging tools that will like show you the state of things at various times. Or you know, So you have kind of this mechanism of... And, and the thing is, the way that we bind... Uh, Redux to a view react component is with connect, right? So that's a very manual process of extracting the store from context and then, you know, tying in all these selectors and, you know, binding the action creators, what have you. Like if the store already has all that stuff, like all you got to do is pluck some methods off of it and call them, right? Like it's the connect function becomes super, super, super simple. You literally just give it strings because everything's named. So you have, you know, select, select user will give you a user prop, you know, do log out will give you a do log out prop. And by, by listing them as strings, you don't have 50 million imports at the top. Um, and then when you decide to shuffle files around, you got to fix all those paths, right? Not to mention, it's not exactly free to require tons and tons of modules. I mean, there's been test cases demonstrating that, you know, even just walking the tree, the dependency tree in a webpack builder, or, uh, you know, th that can take some time, like this actual processing going on there. So it, it dramatically simplifies the process of connecting data from your Redux or into your um, components. And just to be clear, this connect function is not the React Redux, but it's the nope. connect function for your... Yep. I wrote my own, because that's one of the things that actually frustrated me the most is like that's the part where things get ugly in in redux in my opinion is like you have you have these beautiful like state change mechanisms you have this like it all makes perfect sense and then you're like okay i want to actually use this in a react application okay so i gotta import all these selectors i gotta import all these action creators i gotta bind the action creators make sure i don't i call them something different so i don't confuse myself and don't shadow variable names uh and before you before you're done like you've kind of you've added so much stuff just to be able to extract useful information out of the, out of your application state. So that's where I saw a lot of people, you know, to use Starbucks as an example, a lot of people that were getting 
onboarded onto the new um, React Redux stuff, there was a lot of confusion around what Connect does, how it works, and you know what's going on with these select functions, etc. So I've got a question. Um, I'm just looking at some of the the code examples, and and one of the things that really kind of bothers me with uh, with Redux is when I come into an application that's built with Redux. If I, if I haven't, if I'm not the one who built it, um, or even if I am, um, I if I see like an um, an event is happening, like I click on this button and it's dispatching something. Mm. And then I go find the action creator and then I find um, all the reducers. And by by the time I'm all done, I have like seven files open trying to figure out what on earth is going on. Totally. And so that that whole process is like created because of the indirection of Redux. And there, there are benefits to indirection. It's not necessarily a bad thing, um, but it, it can be like wickedly frustrating. Um, totally. Just trying to figure out like the the code path of certain events, um, and so looking looking at this, I, I think it it looks like it it sort of helps with that problem a little bit. But one thing that I'm a little concerned about is is the connect function. It takes these strings, um, and and like and when the Redux bundler um, composes all of my uh, bundles together, uh, there's there's no way for me to really know. Um, like where each one of these actions or where these selectors are coming from. Sure. Um, I, I just have to like use a convention and convention always kind of scares me a little bit because mm-hmm. no, like we have a million conventions for CSS and, um, yeah. and nobody follows their convention properly anyway. Right. Um, so what, what can you say about that? Like as I've never used Redux bundler, so I can't sure. really say from experience, but what's been your experience for people using Redux bundler or yourself um, and the um, um, like debugging story, like how to, th- this is actually another reason that I, I'm not a huge fan of middleware with with Express because I, I look at my request object or my response object and it has a user property like which where did that come from? Yeah, yeah. where did that come from? <laughs> exactly, it's so totally. frustrating. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, just say words about that, please. <laughs> words about that. Okay. So first of all, in terms of like convention, like you can't not follow the convention because it doesn't work. So if you don't export your selectors, starting with the term select, they won't be recognized as selectors. So that, that kind of, you can't not do that and still have it work. Um, as far as the using strings to pull it in, the nice thing is it blows up as soon as if if you reference something that doesn't exist, like we know that because we know the the store has everything. And if you, try to connect it to something that doesn't exist. We can be like, hey, that doesn't exist. The search for this phrase. And I mean, it's not that it's pretty obvious that something blew up. And so, you know, the, the big the big fear around like, and I, you know, I, I used to write Python. They're big on being very explicit about everything. That's part of the whole thing. And, and you know, explicitly importing things so you know where they're coming from makes a lot of sense. But in my experience, in terms of practical use, um, you know, a little bit of convention here can go a really long way towards eliminating a lot of headaches and indirection. So for me, it's worth it. Like, yeah, there's there's a cost there in that you can't go trace a, a file path. But my file structure is like a folder of bundles, a flat folder of bundles. That's it. Like it's in one of those. <laughs> you know, it's not it's not like there's this crazy nested mess of of stuff. Like because you can isolate them into chunks, it's pretty easy to just have each file as one bundle and go from there. So if, if you were in a code base you're not familiar with, um, you see this thing that says like 
uh, do login or something like that, um, mm-hmm. then you just grep for do login and inside your bundle folder and, yeah. and you find it pretty quick. Yeah. Totally. Do, you ever, do you ever find situations where there are like name clashes um, or like? Well, if that- so, I, would, I certainly want to raise that awareness. I, I don't. I don't think we throw for that, right? I mean, I don't think it explodes if you if you try to if two bundles tried to. I think we just overwrite each other. Um, but I mean, I would want to know, <laughs> you know, and I think, uh, I mean, I think it's, uh, yeah, I could throw more helpful errors there. Again, this isn't, this isn't me trying to build some general purpose tool for everybody. And I, you know, this is, this is just one of those things you got to be aware of and be, be uh, cautious of, I suppose. Well, it sounds like uh, Redux Bundler really solves uh, quite a few of the pains that, that I've had with Redux uh, personally. So I'm, um, I think it's pretty cool. So in, in Redux applications um, where I'm, I'm using Redux, I might consider uh, giving that a look. So thanks, yeah, for, check it thanks out. for sharing that with the open source world. Yeah, yeah, um, no I, I'll be sure to, to file all the bugs that I find. And Please do. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't mind legitimate bugs. It's just I don't want to, you know, I, I do paid consulting work. I don't want to spend my time like doing free consulting for everybody because that's not that's not why I'm open sourcing it. So. Uh, but but there's like uh, but I think there's enough stuff there that is genuinely useful that I, I want people to be aware of as alternatives in terms of mechanisms for handling complexity. So whatever one, that's worth. One one thing that I'm wondering about here too, and this is more on the philosophy of organizing your code as opposed mm-hmm. to you know necessarily what Redux Bundler does. But how do you decide totally. what to bundle together? I mean, you, you can look at a whole bunch of different uh, ways that people or things organize. So, you know, do you collect them as far as, well, this deals with everything having to do with images and this one deals with everything having to do with login, log out or user profiles. And then what if it's a profile image? Where do you put that? And so I, sure. I can see like all of these different sort of orthogonal uh, concerns that something might fall into two or three of them. So, so yeah. So how do you how do you start to break this apart? Sure. Uh, I mean, I, I tend to go with kind of big chunks of functionality. So, for example, like I said, there's an auth bundle and there's a, you know, if I am if I have a collection of users that's being displayed somewhere, there will probably be a users bundle in there somewhere that, that fetches that and keeps that state up to date. Um, and, um, you know, they, they can depend on each other. I, I actually, um, I don't know if any of you, have any, any of you used reselect much at all to create selectors? See, I feel like this is like the missing piece of all Redux applications is like, you know, we have a way to read and we have a way to kind of cause action changes and whatever, but we don't have a great way in Redux itself to extract useful information out of our application state. And so people do crazy things like store derived state in their Redux store because they don't know what else to do with it. Um, the, the logical way, and I keep referring to selectors, but like these are all things created with the library called reselect that essentially expects it expects you to treat your state the way that redux does and uh, now i'm getting off on a tangent so stop me chuck if i'm completely ignoring your question sorry <laughs> that's not my goal <laughs> all right keep going all right all right um but that so i think you know bundling things around that makes a lot of sense uh, but there's there, if you're if you're building up complex logic trees in terms of you want to know things that are derived from multiple areas in your application you want to derive some answer to a question about your application state. There's times when you're going to be able to, you're going to want to reference different things from different bundles, right? Mm-hmm. And so in the same way that you can reference, um, you can connect things by name, you can actually reference other selectors from other bundles by name. 
So you don't actually have to have them directly tied to each other. Now, Redux Bundler, the way that you, it has two different composition functions that it exposes. One of them is the raw one that it uses internally. And one of them is one that bundles a bunch of the, the stuff that I think you're probably going to want to use um, already. But the, it still just uses the same thing. But there's a built-in URL bundle that essentially does the two-way binding between the browser's URL bar and your Redux state and lets you do things like read uh, the query parameters as an object uh, from using a selector from uh, your URL bundle. Um, and so there's tons of stuff in your app that's probably going to want to reference some aspect of routing or URL stuff. And so in those scenarios too, you can, you can reference that stuff in a selector as well. So say for instance, you have a user's page and you want to fetch users on that page. Well, if you're not directly calling fetch users from the component of that user's page, then you might ask, well, how the heck do I trigger that? Well, did you have URL as part of your state? So you can just in a selector say, hey, am I showing, am I currently on this page? If so, then fetch it. And you can choose to do that optionally. So it can be, it can be like something that you decide to tie to a particular URL, but it's not required. It's not that way by default. Does that make sense? Yeah. So anyway, I, to answer your question, large chunks of functionality. Mm -hmm. I, I, I like, I think I'm going to try and restate what you said there a little bit. And that is that, um, you know, yeah, if, if it's part of the same functionality, that's the stuff that you put in a bundler. And, yep. uh, the, the thing that came to mind when you were talking about it is, um, I'm not sure how familiar you are with the solid principles by, uh, uncle Bob Martin. Uh, uh, not at all. But uh, the S in the solid principles is the single responsibility principle. Oh, and okay. um, the thing that really blew me away when I finally understood that principle was that Uncle Bob, he, he gave this talk and I was like, oh, well, everything in here should be part of doing the same job, which, to you know, you're saying large chunks of functionality is kind of the same thing. But... I heard him give a talk, and in the talk he said what he meant by that was that it was all likely to change at the same time, because mm. you're you're working on you know you're working on the users list, and so it's all likely right. to change as you work on the users list, and then you know the other class or bundle or you know set of functions or object or however you think about it in JavaScript, um, you know yeah. same thing right? It's it's likely to change at the same time because it's managing similar state and similar transforms on that state. And so if we're yeah. talking about that kind of a thing, then what we're saying is is that it it may not look like it goes together when I squint at it, but when I'm working on it, I'm going to be making those changes all at the same time because they're all related to the same functionality in my application. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really good way to put it. I mean, it, it's it's shared concerns in that sense. Yeah. I mean, they're they're kind of inextricably linked. Yep. So I have a question. Um, I know that you talk a bit about reactive programming, and like that's kind of like the the basis for you know React, like the popularization of React and why React is big. In um in the Redux bundler. You have reactors. Mm -hmm. Yes. Could you talk about those a little bit? Yeah. So this is this is gonna be. Uh, let's let's talk spreadsheets. Okay. So okay. so I know this seems really tangential, but it will come back right back around to what you're saying. So, um, yes. The, if if you think about containing complexity and, and the way that a spreadsheet works is that you have a few inputs and then you can derive all manner of information from that. And any one, and this is what I do with selectors. And so any one of those cells, instead of just referencing a P 
piece of raw data can reference another cell. It can be a computer result from another cell. So um, that's what reselect lets you do. It lets you build these complex trees of selectors to derive increasingly complex answers. Now, without, and you can do that without causing, a, like requiring a lot of complexity in the end cell, if you will. The final formula just says add this cell and this cell. Like it doesn't need to have all, but in the, in, by doing that, you inherently contain all the complexity that was used to derive those two complex answers, perhaps, right? But ultimately, all you want to know is, you know, should I do something based on this information or not? And so the ability to basically treat your state as a spreadsheet is, is probably the most powerful tool I've ever discovered in my years of development for managing and containing complexity in a, a client-side application. Because what you can do is you can kind of build chunks, build the chunks upon chunks upon chunks and end up with really high level answers to hard to answer questions that, that inherently contain all the logic required to derive that information. So once you get to that point, you kind of want to use that for everything. <laughs> so what, I, what I've done with this, this concept of reactors is, is a special kind of selector that if it returns something, dispatch what it returns. So as a result, then instead of um, instead of just deriving whether or not to show that the user is logged in, it derives whether or not we should trigger the user to get logged in um, or to get logged out because they they just failed. They just got we just got an authorization failure on an API request. Their sessions expired. We need to boot them out. Like there are there are conditions in your app that cause other things to occur, and um, this has been really powerful because you can do things like create these kind of self-healing systems. Because as long as you store enough metadata about the request that occurred, if it fails, you can write selectors that say, hey, if this failed five minutes ago, try it again. Right? And that's, that's exactly what you can do with these reactors is you can essentially react to certain states to cause other things. One simple example for this is once you have your URL state in Redux, there's times when you're going to want to have internal redirects, essentially. So I create a little redirects bundle that has a single reactor that describes all the cases in which I want to redirect somebody to a different page. That could just be cleaning up the URL. That could be, hey, they're actually logged out, so we should boot them to the separate site entirely. Um, being able to kind of not just react in terms of... Um, Show, you know, deriving some increasingly complex data, but actually cause something else to occur is really magical when you see it in action. Because uh, so, so one example um, was, uh, at, so one of the prototypes for Starbucks that I was working on was this idea of showing, and, and stop me if I'm babbling too much. I, I don't know what time we have or whatever. So <laughs> um, was this, um, they wanted to have this little like now playing card. Uh, so whatever it was current music was currently playing at a given Starbucks store, if you were in that store. So here we have a web application that needs to somehow figure that out. Right. And I was like, this is a cool challenge. Like, let's see if we can actually do this on the web. And they have, you know, they have good APIs in place for like fetching what's the nearest store to this set of coordinates. But there's, a, there's an enormous number of things that have to go right for this to work. And, and you should really expect many of them to fail. Like, do we have request? Do we have a user permission to request a geolocation? If it does, okay. Did we get it? Is it accurate enough? Are we currently asking for user location? If so, we certainly don't want to ask again. Um, you know, 
okay, we got it. How, is, it is it within our accuracy threshold? Okay, now let's then trigger a fetch to the nearest store. Let's like call that API to see what's the closest store to this location. Okay, based on my accuracy and my tolerance for error, can I safely assume that this person is in this store? Yes or no? Okay, well, maybe they probably are. Okay, sure enough. Let's, let's do the next thing. Now we can trigger an API call to say, hey, does this store have the capabilities to tell me what's, what music is currently playing? And that might not work. The user might be pulling their phone out. It might be trying to connect to the in-store Wi-Fi and be in a total like fake Wi-Fi situation. It's very likely to happen, in fact. In fact, very many of these things are very likely to fail. And so, like, how do you even build a system that can, like, resiliently plow through that and, and ultimately finish? Well, the way you do it is you, you store metadata about what you're trying to do, and you use that state to trigger other things. And so, you know, we're able to do something that's extremely resilient to that failure, and that could retry things behind the scenes. And, and you know, even if you sat there and refreshed during the process of it trying to do this, it would still pick up and keep going where it left off because anytime it succeeded, it would cache that locally. I mean, so you end up with this like, like I don't even know how to build that kind of system without a spreadsheet type model in your head. Like, I, I don't know how you'd go about doing it in a way that was fault tolerant and resistant enough to, to handle that amount of failure. And I think, so that, you know, that, that kind of example just goes to show what, what's possible. When somebody comes with a really complex feature, most of us are like, I, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> but if you, if you can do it like a spreadsheet where you're like, all right, this cell gives me this piece of the answer. Or this cell gives me this piece of the answer. Combined, I can tell you this piece of the answer. Uh, I can trigger this thing. I can do this thing. And all of a sudden, you know, really complex things can be done without ripping your hair out. That's really awesome. They immediately kind of thought like selector promises of some sort, you know? Yeah, essentially. I mean, you, you basically, so the way it works is it like, it will run those. So you, when, if you export a reactor from your bundle, it will, um, it will peer, it, when any action is dispatched, it will run those special selectors on the resulting state. And the first one that returns something, it will then schedule that to be dispatched with a request idle callback. So as a result, you don't get it interrupting anything else. You know, it's, it's performant in that way, but that's like the next logical effect to occur. Um, and by doing it that way, you can kind of build these self-resolving logic trees that, that ultimately give you the answer you're looking for in a really reliable manner. So it's and so, kind of like yeah. messaging where it's like your messaging uh, software would like try it, like, like RabbitMQ or something mm -hmm. like that, where you're basically trying to get these things. Like, Man, that's awesome. <laughs> it works really well. And I mean, I think the spreadsheet model is the best way to, to, to really think <laughs> about it. And that's, that's the classic functional reactive programming example anyway, right? Um, and, and I think React kind of does that for the UI portion, you know, like, tell me what to render with this certain state. But I think we're still taking very simplistic approaches to data fetching um, on, the, on that side of things. I think we can apply similar principles to, to kind of give us that level of, give our apps that kind of smarts, if you will. So. That's awesome. Anyway, I think they're cool. I, I really like it as a means of containing complex logic. Yep. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me. When I read that, I was like, because uh, I, I read it in, in your documentation, and it was just like, hold on, what is this? 
This is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I know it looks weird and it's it's a little bit strange at first, but again, you know, by by keeping the Redux's principles of kind of since dispatching a single thing that leads to, you know, like it's really easy to trace back too, like as you see it all happening in the console. Um, oh, nice. you, know, you have a- action after action getting dispatched. And, you know, the way that there's, I wrote a little debug bundle for, for Redux Bundler too that will show you whatever the next action it's going to trigger. So, you know, as a result, you can kind of track it down by just by scrolling back up in your console and see what happens. Nice. That's great. Super cool. Anyway. All right. Well, um, I have an appointment with my accountant <laughs> to get my taxes done. So I'm going to start pushing this toward picks. Is there anything that we really Sounds need to good. cover, though, before we do that? Is your accountant using Excel to to look at reactive programming? <laughs> uh, QuickBooks? Not quite the same thing. <laughs> I knew I had a refund coming this year, so I did my taxes as soon as I possibly could. <laughs> so I'm done. Yeah, when you work for your... Well, wait a minute. You do work for yourself, so how did you get a refund? <laughs> huh? Well, I'll be, I, they, I have to pay like quarterly whatever to oh the IRS. i see they make me do it now it's bi-weekly actually but yeah i pay monthly so maybe i will get money back all right anyway um <laughs> that was a fun <laughs> that's, my, that's my pick for today <laughs> my Dollars. get a cpa there you go uh tara why don't you start us off with the picks do you run your own freelance business or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter DevChat in the How Did You Hear About Us section. So um, I'm not sure when we're going to air this, but my picks are uh, in relation to to International Women's Day. And so two resources that uh, I really took advantage of both uh, when I was a CS student and then starting my career was uh, Women Who Code. And I am actually uh, started and direct uh, co-direct now the Cincinnati branch of Women Who Code. So I highly recommend checking nice. out the Women Who Code chapter in your area. And um, another one is uh, Google has a branch of their Google developer groups of women tech makers who also put on some great uh, talks and resources. And there's a great Slack chat room just to uh, talk to other women in the field and learn from each other, support each other. And oh, and with women, uh, women who code, just a reminder that most all branches do at least one free technical workshop a month. So check that out. That's me, though. Awesome. Kent, what are your picks? Sure. So, uh, Tara, I also wanted to pick Happy uh, or International Women's Day today. So, Happy International Women's Day, whatever day it is. Yay. 
because um, yeah, I, I think I think that's wonderful. And and in this that same spirit, um, I also want to shout out to GirlDevelopIt.com. Uh, um, they accept donations, and I recommend that you donate to them. It's a wonderful nonprofit organization um, that uh, gives great opportunities to to women in code. So um, definitely check check them out. Um, and then just a, a blog post that I wrote a little while back that's relevant to today's conversations called Application State Management on my blog, um, <clears throat> where I, I reveal to the world that I am actually an average React fanboy and <laughs> me wearing my React shirt today. Um, hey, I'm, not, I'm not hating on anybody, okay? <laughs> no, it's really cool. No, I, I, um, um, I, I feel like React can get us a really long distance in, in managing our application state. So uh, give that a look. Um, I, I think it's, um, it's worth, worth looking at. And then something that I've been working on at work, uh, it's just been on my mind a lot, is this toolkit called PayPal Scripts. It's like if you like create React app, it, what that leaves you with is this React Scripts tool that kind of uh, consolidates a bunch of other tools. Um, so I highly suggest that if you make more than, uh, like if your company makes more than a couple apps, um, then you should probably invest some time into making a toolkit because it's just, it's it's incredible um, what you can do with, with these things. So I've got two blog posts about that. The first one's called Tools Without Config. Uh, yeah, sorry, Tools Without Config. Uh, and the other one is called um, Concerning Toolkits. So I'll uh, leave links to those. Um, yeah, toolkits are great. So give that a look. <laughs> all right, I'm going to throw a few picks out. Uh, first of all, um, I, I will confess ignorance. I didn't even know that there was an International Women's Day. But uh, if you're being celebrated, um, uh, congr- I wish you a happy Women's Day. I don't know how to say that <laughs> properly, and I probably sound like an idiot. But yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, uh, the other thing is, is, uh, yeah. So I, anyway, I have other picks because I'm, I'm, I didn't know. Anyway, um, so the first pick that I have, um, last night I just kind of ran out of steam and I was like, I, I just need a few hours to myself. So I went and saw, um, Black Panther. And it turns out that if you go at like three in the afternoon, you really do get to watch it by yourself on a Wednesday. <laughs> I think there were like four other people in the whole theater. But uh, anyway, it was a good movie. I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, the, in other words, it was a Marvel movie and they blew enough crap up. So um, nice. anyway, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, uh, the other thing that I'm going to pick is um, I, I guess it's more of an offer for help. I've had a number of people come to me lately and say that they want to start podcasts. And if you're one of those people, I'm happy to help you out. Um, I may eventually put together a course, but for right now, if you want to just steal like 15 minutes of my time, just go to devchat.tv slash 15 minutes. That's devchat.tv slash one five minutes. I'll talk to you about anything for 15 minutes. You know, it doesn't have to be podcasting, but, uh, you know, I love hearing from people who are listening to the shows and getting something out of them. So if you, if there's a favorite episode or you want career advice or anything like that, let me know. Um, the other thing that I'm going to pick um, I've decided to put a $100 uh, coupon for my how to get a job course into the ticket for um, React Dev Summit. And in case you're wondering, React Dev Summit costs 150 bucks. So, you know, it's essentially you get uh, a, f- a $50 ticket for the uh, paid ticket, 
you, you know, you're getting $100 off if you're going to buy the other course as well. So, um, yeah, just uh, check that out. Um, Tara and Kent are both speaking. Um, so, yeah, it should be great. You can use either of their first names to get 20% off, I think. Um, so definitely uh, check that out. Um, if you don't want to pay or you're, you're like 150 bucks, I don't have 150 bucks, you can come watch it for free when it's being streamed live. So, uh, and that'll be the last week in March, which should be next week as this comes out. So definitely check that out. Uh, one other thing, if you haven't been to devchat.tv for a while, um, I have been reworking the, um, the theme on there. So uh, I would love feedback. So if you want to just go to devchat.tv or reactroundup.com or anything like that and just check it out, uh, let me know what you think. And then, um, you know, you can do that by emailing me or whatever. Um, also, I know that some people play with all of the... Sorry, I'm picking all the things I'm working on. <laughs> I probably shouldn't. But uh, I know some people play with a lot of different frameworks. So if you're interested in Angular, we have a podcast on Angular at adventuresinangular.com and one on Vue.js, which we started the same week as the React podcast. And that's at Views on Vue, spelled V-U-E, the last view, dot com. So uh, definitely check those out as well. Uh, Henry call it The View? I should have. <laughs> <laughs> that probably would have gotten confusing, though. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Anyway, um, Henrik, what are your picks? You guys have heard me talking this whole time. I'll try to keep it short. Um, essentially, um, I think one, one thing that's really cool is this idea of spaced repetition systems, uh, which if you haven't experienced these, uh, it's this idea that uh, over time, we have these perfect intervals where we should be reminded of a fact in order to remember it. And uh, that's uh, a super interesting way to basically get to pick what you're going to be able to remember when you want to remember it. Um, and there's some cool tools for that out there, one called Anki, A-N-K-I, um, that I've been using and enjoying for that. So basically random facts, everything from like dates to you know formulas to whatever you might want to remember uh, essentially the stuff you put into that thing as long as you keep up with like reviewing your cards for the day you will be able to recall it on the spot which is pretty cool um i talked about reselect already i love reselect did i mention i love reselect <laughs> uh partial js another huge favorite of mine right now and it's just super simple uh bundling of assets for web apps and i use it wherever i can because it just uh, removes all the, it's basically zero config built stuff and it does most of everything what I want it to do. So, um, another, another one last one is a book that I've just been reading called Deviate and it's a, um, written by a neuroscientist who is super interesting. Uh, I won't get into the, the summary, but essentially it's, uh, it will blow your mind, at least it blew mine, uh, and about how our brains work and what those 86 billion cells of brain matter are doing up there. So uh, anyway, really good book. Awesome. Um, That's by Bo Lotto? Is that right? The scientist? Yeah, thing? yeah. And it's a little weird, but it's good. <laughs> I like weird. All right. Okay. <laughs> nice. Well, Henrik, if people want to see what you're working on these days, Maybe you create another uh, Redux bundler-ish thing that is super helpful. Or they want to hire you because you're not working for Starbucks anymore for one reason or another. Right. Yeah. Where is all that stuff? <laughs> uh, it, you, can go, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, it's just my full name, Henrik Jorteg. And then uh, uh, my uh, blog is, is jorteg.com, J-O-R-E-T-E-G. 
Um, and actually, I can't believe I forgot to mention this. I, I am working on a book. Like I said, uh, it's on Redux. It's a bunch of patterns in Redux. It's not just like, hey, use Bundler. Um, <laughs> so uh, it's got two sections. One is like basics and the other one is, is kind of getting into patterns. And I'm almost done with it. That will live at RedoxBook.com as soon as it's live. So um, look for that. I will definitely tweet about it when it's out there. Nice. All right. Well, thank you for coming and talking to us. Uh, we'll go ahead and wrap thank this you one for up. Having and me. We will catch everyone next week. Okay. See ya. Thanks. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C A C H E F L Y dot com to learn more.